In 2019, Muffet McGraw was the coach of the defending national champions. She was a Hall of Famer with two national titles at Notre Dame, nine Final Four appearances, and more than 900 career wins. She was an icon, one of the biggest and most recognizable names in college basketball. She was also fed up. She was tired of seeing opportunities in women's basketball go to men. She was frustrated watching women being overlooked and undervalued. She had made sure that wasn't the case at Notre Dame, but she also knew her standing in the game gave her a voice. So she raised it. From USA Today, I'm Nancy Armour, and this is how Muffet McGraw is changing the game. This podcast is brought to you by Artistry Studio exclusively from Amway. In a world of same, Artistry Studio goes against the grain by setting you up with multitasking, simple, affordable makeup and skin solutions designed for whatever adventure life takes you on. Follow us on Instagram at Artistry US to learn more about Artistry Studio. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You just retired as head coach of women's basketball at Notre Dame. You left as just one of five coaches in all of NCAA basketball with at least 930 wins, nine Final Fours, and multiple titles. But let's go back to the beginning. How did you even get into coaching in the first place? Well, I played at St. Joe's in Philly, and I was a sociology major. So as you can imagine, there weren't a lot of jobs available. I figured I would be saving the world in some way. And then a high school job opened in Philly, and I thought, you know what? I really would love to stick with basketball. I love the game. I had such a passion for it. So I thought, I'll try coaching and see what happens. And from my very first practice, I was like, this is it. This is definitely going to be my career. Can you imagine having a job? of something that you love. You know, my husband would say like, your life hasn't changed since you were in high school. You know, you have basketball camp in the summer, you have basketball in the winter. And what a, what a great job that was. You were hired by Notre Dame in 1987. And you said initially you weren't even planning on applying for the job. How come? My husband kept badgering me to send in my resume. And I thought, you know what? Well, really, what do I have to lose? You know, the worst I can say is no. So I sent it in uh, and got the interview and, and he was probably more excited than I was, you know, when I said, hey, you want to take a trip to South Bend? I've got an interview. Um, So that's it. So fast forward 30 years, and you are one of the most prominent and vocal champions for women in sports, particularly women in leadership positions. Walk me through that transition, how you went from where you were when you were applying for that Notre Dame job to where you are now. You know, when Title IX came out and 90% of the coaches were women, and then Title IX's out to support women, to give women opportunities, and suddenly now 40% of our coaches are women. So, you know, that bothered me when I looked around, and especially at the Final Four and, and looking at the top teams in 2018, I was the only female head coach in the Final Four. And, you know, this is a women's game, and I we're always looking and trying to build our women uh, into future leaders. And so I thought a lot of women came up to me and said, boy, we're pulling for you because you're the only female coach. And not only that, you have an all-female staff. 
And that's when people really, they started talking about it. I, I, I think that I noticed it before and I wondered why more women weren't head coaches, but I never really said anything about it. I think when I hired uh, Beth Cunningham to my staff, that was the first time I had all women. I, I didn't know what the chemistry would be like, how it would go. And I loved it. And I thought, gosh, why didn't I do this before? And why don't more women do this? So it wasn't that you weren't going to hire any men. You just wanted your bench to be all women. Why did you feel that was important? You know, I think it's so interesting when you look at men. Whenever I had a job open, and if I had 100 resumes, 80 of them were men. And and I was always wondering why. The phone calls I would get, you know, the way that men network and try to go after jobs was so different than women. Women were always hesitant to apply. Um, they just, you know, they're loyal, they're team players. They didn't want to leave a place. But they also just didn't really have that confidence, I think, to send in the resume. And I, that was something that, that always bothered me. And and I looked on my staff and I said, you know, when, when the guys on my staff went for jobs, they handled it completely differently than the women did. So I, I thought, you know, that, that needs to change. So what can I do to change that? And how can we start empowering women? And, you know, I got to start with my team for sure. And my assistant coaches. Did you feel like that made a difference to your players having a coaching staff of all women? My players know where I stand on the, on those uh, women's issues because at practice, what I would do sometimes, you know, when coaches say, get on the baseline, we're about to run. I would always had a list of questions I would ask them. How many women are on the Supreme Court? Name one woman. Uh, who was the first woman to do this? So I was constantly feeding them facts about women and, and they could get out of running. So there was a lot of thinking going on, you know, and, and it was usually the walk-on that would get the question correct. But um, so, th you know, they knew. And, and it was funny because if something would happen on the men's side and they say, hey, did you see they're doing this on the men's team? How come we're not doing that? And they knew that, that you know, we would be able to, to attack that. So uh, I think we, we definitely gave them that. But when it came out in the final four and I had my say, um, I think they were excited about it. I had some very um, mature women who had a social conscience and that was important to them, too. Yeah. Let's go back to that, that answer at the final four. You talked about the need for more female leaders and how in this day and age, it's pretty pathetic that we're still announcing these first. And that even in women's sports, there aren't enough women coaches. It was a powerful statement and one you'd clearly thought about a lot. Had you been waiting for the right opportunity to say all of this or was there something specific that prompted it? I finally watched it again. I was like, dang, where did it come from? I mean, it was, I think in the middle of talking, I was thinking to myself, how do you get off this state? How do you stop this train? It's, you know, you're just, I kept on talking. I thought I got to finish somehow and get back to basketball. But it just, you know, it just was really, it had been building up for probably a few years. But, uh, you know, sometimes you say it's this little straw that breaks the camel's back. And when we got to our hotel in Tampa, uh, for the final four, I turned on the TV and it says, welcome Matt McGraw, who, of course, my husband. And I thought, wait a minute. I mean, here we are. We're in the final four. I'm the coach. And it says, welcome Matt McGraw. And this is not your first final four either. It is not as if you are an unknown quantity. Welcome Matt McGraw. Yeah, that, that did it. I snapped on that one. Yeah, I understandably so. Um, were you okay? So that's your snapping point, but it it seemed as if what you said also was somewhat of 
a snapping point nationally because your comments really caught fire. I mean, I remember you being on uh, um, some national news programs. You were quoted widely. Did you expect to have that kind of a response? And and was it somewhat gratifying that that you had other women going, yeah, finally? I had no idea that, you know, all this fervor is going on behind me. And then at the end of practice, one of my players who was injured came over and said, oh, um, President Barack Obama just retweeted you. And I was like, what? I mean, it, it was it was really astonishing and overwhelming to know that so many people listened and kind of talked about it. And that's, you know, I was hoping to spark a conversation. I didn't know it would be a national conversation. I didn't know over 7 million people would be listening to what I said. So, you know, I thought, well, this is good. Now let me see how my boss feels about it. You know, how's the university going to feel? And they were so supportive. And so, you know, I, I was really happy that I finally had a chance to talk ever since Pat's summit you know, was passed away. I feel like we haven't had a voice on our on our side for women. And so, you know, I, I'm happy to, to be the one. But I was amazed at how few coaches I heard from and how many people in business, uh, women would say, I'm in a male-dominated industry. And, and I said, who isn't? You know, we all are, really, when you look at it. Um, and also, I got so many notes from dads with daughters. And that was really great to hear. So many men were like, oh, man, I hear what you say. I played sports or my son played sports. It's totally different for the girls. Um, I'll, I'm just going to go back to you. Did, so did you take a screenshot of Barack Obama, like, retweeting you? Oh, yeah, you bet. <laughs> I got a note from Hillary Clinton that is still on my fridge. <laughs> it's, it's been two years now, and it's still a prominent spot on my fridge. You so you mentioned a couple of prominent women and, and you mentioned asking your players about Supreme Court justices. Who are your heroes? Well, RBG for sure. Um, she is somebody that, you know, after I watched that movie made about her, it was amazing what she went through and how poised, how she handled all those incredibly sexist things she had to fight through. You know, there's just so many things that women have done that, you know, in history, they never talk about women. The only women I learned about were Betsy Ross because she sewed, you know, she sewed the flag. That's why she's in history. And uh, probably Harriet Tubman, maybe two women you learn about in history. So it's kind of nice to go back now and look at these women out there. So, I mean, Hillary Clinton, I, Condoleezza Rice and RBG, that, I would love to meet uh, RBG. That would be fun. Would you have thought, even with what you said at the Final Four, that you would become one of those voices? And it's not just women who are looking up to you and saying, hey, this isn't right. We've got work we need to do. Well, we definitely have a lot of work to do. People have asked if I wanted to go into politics. And, you know, I, I kind of jokingly said, no, that, you know, that's that's not for me. I, I like to say exactly what I'm thinking. And that's probably not always the best thing to say. But we do. We need more women's voices. And I think that was one of the things that when I looked at retiring and I always thought, what, what else can I do? That's something I'm really passionate about. And so I think that kind of helped me look at retiring as, you know, I have another chapter and it's going to be something to support women. Yeah. So when you were thinking about retiring, was that a concern for you that you lose your platform, that calling out the inequities wouldn't have the same weight or get the same kind of attention if you weren't on the bench? I, I really worried about that. I, I talked to my boss about that, Jack Swarbrick, and I said, you know, am I going to lose my platform? Like, who, who's going to be listening? Because I'm not at the microphone anymore. So, you know, he, he thought that I definitely would not. I'd still have a chance to speak. And I've gotten a lot of opportunities to do that. But think about writing a book or doing something to uh, continue to fight for women. We'll be right back. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You mentioned something earlier about women not advocating for themselves. And I think that's a real challenge for many of us. So... When Beth Morgan called you and said, you have an assistance job open and I want to be considered, what did that say to you? What kind of an impression did that make on you? Yeah, that really made a lot because I think a lot of people will sit back and wait, you know, and, and I always tell girls, you know, it's not the senior prom. You don't have to wait to be asked. We're so busy raising our hand all the time and asking for permission all the time. So I thought she really showed a lot of confidence. I, I mean, I knew she had confidence as a player, but the confidence to pick up the phone and say, I'm the person for this job, um, that really went a long way with me because we, we need more women to act that way. So, yeah, when you hung up, did you think, OK, I've got my next assistant? Absolutely. How do we get that? How do we get to a point where women advocate for themselves in the way that they should and, and quite frankly, the way that men do without even thinking twice about it? I think the first problem is we're socialized to be a certain way. Women are team players. We're cheerleaders. We're stay in the background. Don't make waves. Uh, get along. Go along. Uh, all the things that that's how we're raised. And I think that I would start there. I think parents have to do a better job of telling their daughters how smart they are instead of worrying about how pretty they are. Um, I think that we have to encourage women to get into the STEM professions. I think one of the good things about what's going on right now with COVID-19, you're seeing female doctors, you're seeing female scientists, you're seeing researchers that are women. So girls can look up and say, wow, that looks cool. Maybe I'd like to do that sometime. Because if they can't see it, they're, they're not going to believe it. I think you can tell your daughters you can be anything you want. But then you worry about how they act. Like, is your daughter out there wrestling and climbing trees and getting dirty? And, you know, are you treating her the same way when she comes home as your son? Is she being competitive and allowed to, you know, be aggressive and, and be intense on the court? Or are you kind of saying, you know, you really need to be a better team player? So I think the things we compliment boys and just the way, you know, even with kids' clothes, I was talking to Serena Williams a couple of weeks ago, and she said, when you go shopping, for the boys, they have these little executive, the junior um, CEO, like that's how they name their clothes. And you go to the girl's side and it's like the princess. Um, these are the, you know, the, the, the Disney princess thing. So, I mean, I, I just think we have so much to do to change the stereotypes and the next generation hopefully will be the one to do it. As a coach, how much are you conscious of that, that you're not just teaching your players X and O's, but that you are also getting these women to be the next generation of leaders or getting them to see themselves as this next generation of leaders? 
Well, I think that's my biggest job. You know, basketball used to be 90% X's and O's, and now it's 90% psychology and a little bit of X's and O's. And I think that, that getting women to be confident and to have a voice is so important. You know, when you go off to the WNBA or to whatever career you choose, you need to be able to step up and speak up for women. And I think they look at how how I would do it. And that that was important to me, that I'm the role model that they're looking up to. We've seen studies over the years that the whether it's executives or women who are CEOs, most of them have played sports, um, that that is in their background and usually at a, a fairly high level. Uh, why do you think that is? And how do we bottle that and expand it to the rest of the population? Well, sports teaches girls so many important life lessons. You learn about discipline, uh, work ethic. You learn about grit. You learn about how to handle adversity. You you learn so many great skills that will help you compete. Um, you know, you're out there in front of, you know, thousands of people playing your game. And so all those things are trying to build your confidence. Failing is a great way to build confidence. You know, it, it sounds uh, kind of oxymoronic, but if you don't fail, you know, you don't have a chance to dust yourself off and get back out there. And that's what men do so much better than we do. You know, you don't have time to be sensitive about how people are talking to you. You kind of have to fight for what you want. And I think sports teaches you all that. Sports can also change the perceptions we have of men and women in all facets of life. You recently got a letter from a second grader named Luke who called you one of his heroes. How important is that, that we're now seeing boys looking to women as their role models and doing it from a, a really young age? One of the things I loved about holding a summer camp was when the boys would come in wearing Skylar Diggins jersey and Arike, you know, I want to be Arike's number. And here's the shot. You know, we saw all these boys practicing her great shots in the final four. And I think it's great for them to see like women can be great athletes, too. And so to appreciate and respect women, to have that respect. You see the guys in the NBA, they have total respect for the WNBA and what they're doing. They're, they're out there supporting them. Um, you know, if they, if they have daughters, they want them to get into that. So, you know, I, I think that's that's just really important that you 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 know, you have a chance to teach your your own sons and daughters things, you know, your nephews and your nieces, your your kids, like how they treat women from an early age is gonna is gonna be reflected in how they are when they're older. And I thought the great thing about my son, you know, people say, well, you know, how was that you missed a lot, you're a working mom. But I said he got to grow up knowing that there are twelve independent, strong women and Women can be successful. Women can can do all these things. So, you know, he had a great appreciation for women. And I think that that's so important because right now men are great at networking and we're not, you know, so we need we need men to, to mentor us. But people talk about mentors, but you need somebody in the room who's saying, no, you need to promote this woman. You need to hire this woman. Um, you know, when they get women at the top levels, it's been proven that companies do better with more women in leadership positions. So, you know, that that's going to go a long way. And, but until we see it, you know, until we see it at that that top level, you know, they get to a certain point and then, you know, women aren't being promoted up to the top. So I think the more men we can get to see that, who the men who have daughters, that that's, that's going to be our salvation uh, because they're going to look at the world completely differently. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. 
And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. I absolutely think there's two areas that women can look at and young girls can look at to see how women lead. Sports is the number one. And then what happens in Hollywood, what you see on TV and in the movies. So we can control what happens in sports. And I, I look at and I say, all these kids are playing soccer when they're five and six years old. And they're starting to play basketball when they're six and seven. Who's coaching that team? It's always somebody's dad. Why isn't it somebody's mom? We have so many women who have played soccer and basketball. Why aren't they the ones that are out there because if you start then then when you get to high school or college you're not saying oh wow like I was the first female coach a lot of my girls had and I think it's crazy when you've been playing basketball for so long and you've only ever played for a man so we need to change that younger so that you know young kids are saying yeah my mom's the coach of this team you know and it's no big deal it's it's kind of the norm now to look out and see all these women coaching and that's where I think we can make a really big change fast. So when you think about things like that letter you got from Luke or the boys you see at your camps, does that give you hope that this younger generation will see things differently? Oh, I, th- I think there's been a big shift in this generation right now, the millennials. I think they see women as their equal. And I, I think it's been terrific. You know, we have guys that are our practice players and uh, they're they're sometimes more respectful of women than, uh, than the, the women are of each other. So I, I think it's great to see them in that position. And, and, you know, all the male athletes, especially, you know, it's Schools like Notre Dame and other places, they, they just they have such a great camaraderie and there's such a respect because they know they're all going through the same thing. So we, we just have to get older men, you know, to, to look at it that way. And so that's why I think the next generation will be the one to change it. You mentioned this before, but when Title IX passed in 1972, more than 90 percent of the women's teams in college were coached by women. Fifteen years later, it was down to 50 percent, less than 50 percent, actually. And this most recent season, the percentage of women coaching women's team had risen for a seventh consecutive year, and it's still just 42.3 percent. I know those numbers don't surprise you, but how frustrating is it or how... uh, irritating that that we're still having to have these conversations. I think the frustrating part is that I know why and I know that's the part that bothers me because women aren't they're not applying and they're not competing for jobs. When a job opens, the guy sends in his resume, you know, you, you need these five things to be uh, qualified for the job. He's got two of them and he's going, "That's I got two, two out of five. A woman has four and a half and she's saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not really qualified. But I think as women, that's where our problem is. We, we are checking off boxes of things we don't have. Why? Oh, this is why I probably won't get the job. You know, I, I was the same, you know, before the Notre Dame job, but now you have to look at it and say, this is where we need the confidence. What has the response been from the male coaches in women's basketball? What have you heard from them since you've started, not started, but been very vocal and open about trying to promote women and and saying that more opportunities need to go to women? Well, as you can imagine, I I haven't heard a lot. (laughs) I definitely haven't heard a lot of good things. Um, I I think that they see it. and, And what I say to them is, I'm fine with with you coaching the team, but hire female assistants. You know, you you have a male head coach on some staffs. 
the one really prominent team this year had a male head coach. And I think they had three male assistants. So that that doesn't make any sense. And I think the athletic directors really need to do something about that. But if you if you want to have more women head coaches, you got to get them as assistants first. You have to give them the training that they need to step up. And, you know, what better way to do that than to hire females on your staff? So, you know, I tried to approach it that way. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot I didn't hear. I mean, what I heard was 95 percent positive from people all across the country. Um, but I have somebody opening my mail, so I'm not sure if I was uh, getting all the all the letters. I think we're getting there. We just we just need more women. It needs to be the norm, you know. Like now, it's kind of like, wow, we have three female officials. Dang, that's awesome! <laughs> you know, all three women. I mean, I think it's in every profession. What you'd said at the final four was, I, I think, still fresh in the minds of a lot of people when the World Cup started, and. I thought one of the coolest things about the U.S. women was their confidence. They knew they were the best team in the world, and they weren't apologetic at all about it. They own their greatness, which we see male athletes do all the time. What was it like to watch that? Well, that was my favorite part, too. I, I loved how they celebrated. I, I loved how they um, they were completely unapologetic about their passion and excitement and love for the game. And, you know, you saw a lot of comments in the negative because people watching like, like women aren't supposed to be that way. Women are supposed to be humble. Women are supposed to be team players. And, you know, everybody else can cheer, but not the guy that scored the goals. Like she's got to be one that's just very humble. And so, you know, it goes back to all the stereotypes. So I, I think they're, they are breaking ceilings. I mean, they are really, they're just hammered on that glass ceiling and trying to change things for that. And I think that it's only going to help so that the next person coming through, you know, Billie Jean King did it years and years ago, and, and Serena's still doing it now. Now soccer's doing it. So I, I think eventually, like I said, this generation, like they're seeing that and saying like, oh, well, what's different about that than the way the, the NBA guys celebrated when they won the championship? It's the same thing. They're just celebrating. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's awesome. I was really disappointed in the lawsuit that they didn't win. Imagine that young women who dream of leaving their mark or making their mark in sports are listening to this podcast, whether it's, you know, they want to be a player, an executive, they want to be the first uh, female coach of a professional team, they want to be a head coach of an NCAA team. What would you tell them? You know, I think the biggest thing is that you got to believe in yourself. Uh, you can't look to other people to give you confidence. You have to believe in what you're doing, that you are good. You have to look yourself in the eye in the mirror and say, like, I can do it. You know, this this is what I am and I am enough. And I think that we doubt ourselves way too much. And we we look for other people to build our confidence when really it comes from within. From where we were 30 years ago to where we are now. How much progress do you think we've made? I mean, like, where in the spectrum do you think we are? Yeah, we have such a long way to go. I don't think we're even halfway there yet. 30 years ago, how different is it with the attention we got? Mm, a little different. There's probably, now that the leagues all have their own uh, television networks, I think you're going to see more women's sports on TV. Um, ESPN did a pretty good job, you know, over the last... I don't know, decade or so, maybe two decades. But, you know, our final four has sold out for about 20, 25 years now. So I think we're I think we're making some strides. I think we're definitely battling, still battling some stereotypes, but that has passed. I think people are accepting women athletes now, especially, you know, when you see the success of the Olympics and things like that. So I, I, I think we are improving. Um, we're certainly improving in terms of gender equity and, and the salaries and, and the way that women are treated on each campus. 
But I, I just think we still have so far to go in the minds of so many people, and uh, it's going to take a while to get there. Yeah, it's great to have these male champions and male advocates, but I, I think what's changing is women recognizing that we need to do this for ourselves, too. And when we recognize it, to call it out, like you did at the Final Four. We can't wait for men to change the world for us, and it seems as if we're shifting to that attitude. Slowly, but definitely shifting. You know, I, I think ever since Me Too and Time's Up, I, I think that women across the country went, wow, the, these women are stepping up and saying, this is what happened to me. And so I can use my voice to help advocate for better things. And we're, we're just not going to take it anymore. We're, we're tired of the way we've been treated and we need to do more. And how can we help each other? And I, I really, I really believe that women have to help each other because we are just not good at that yet. In your lifetime, What's the biggest thing you still hope to see women achieve in sports? You know, I, I think it'd start with the coverage. I, I would I would really like to see more on TV and hope that that would improve the crowds. And, you know, you watch an NBA game and, and you see, you know, the, the fans and then you sometimes turn on a women's game and it's, it's just not quite the same. So I, I really think that we need to do more in terms of getting people out to appreciate the women's game because I think once you come out, I know a lot of our fans, they, they boy, I came out once and I was hooked. And if we can just get to that point uh, for all women's sports, I think that'd be great. That was great. <laughs> wow, that was awesome. Now I want to go run through a wall, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Next time on Changing the Game. You have to believe you deserve it. And once you believe it, the actions will follow. Um, but the, the best advice that I can give is you have to do it together. You know, we can't, we can't fight each other and still try to move forward. That's not what's gonna happen. And so empowering other women is how you uplift everyone. Changing the Game is a production of USA Today and is distributed in partnership with Amway and Wondery. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the episode, please rate and review the show. And tell your friends about us. Our episode today was reported and produced by Taylor Macon, Phil Corbett, Rose Gilbert, and me, Nancy Armour. Our editor is Peter Barzilai. Original music and mixing is by Hannes Brown. I'm Nancy Armour. Thanks for listening. This is Rick Tichecka, Creative Director of Makeup Design for Artistry North America with Artistry Studios Mascara Base Primer. This team player is your first step to become a true fan of your lashes. Create lashes with length, volume, and curl. First, sweep the mascara primer over the top of your lashes and then under and through to the lash tips. Then apply a first layer of Artistry Lash Boosting 3-in-1 Mascara in the same manner as the primer using the multi-row side of the wand fully extended. Layering the primer between the first and second coat of mascara will further amplify its effect. Apply a second layer of the mascara primer, followed by a second coat of mascara. 
but this time wiggle the multi-row side of the wand into the lash base. To finish up, apply a final coat of mascara to the lashes with a single comb side of the wand to build definition and length. Artistry Studio, exclusively from Amway.